Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey, this is Frank White. And Alan Tecchio. And you're listening to Talking Metal with Mark Striegel. Turn it up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is episode 918 of Talking Metal. It is an all-Jersey rock and metal celebration episode stay tuned i'll explain more and uh it's just a great episode for me for numerous different reasons but i'll fill you in about that on the episode first we have to thank the people who make this episode happen these are all people who are patrons on patreon they support me with a monthly pledge If you do $5 a month, you get a Talking Metal t-shirt and you also get bonus podcasts, numerous different bonus podcasts. The $5 a month tier is one of our most popular tiers, but of course you can do as little as $2 a month and for that you get a bonus podcast every week. So it is the best way to support. We are approaching 50 patrons. We need to get to 100 and at that point I will start doing a weekly or probably bi-weekly video show that is highly produced and really of good quality. So help me get there, guys. Join me on Patreon. Somewhere, someone out there listening can afford $2 a month on Patreon. If you can't do it, I get it. You know, please enjoy the episode anyways. But I know that there's some people out there who, you know, spend $5 a month day on their mocha uh you know java grande whatever the hell they drink so i i I can't help but think there's more people out there who maybe enjoy this show maybe think it's worth two dollars a month and would want to join me on patreon and again if you up it to five i will send you out a talking metal t-shirt anywhere in the world please join my friends and my supporters on patreon they are Steve Hoker, Mike Jones, Steven Saylor, Dan Gurwan, Metal Dan, Brad Dahl, Jean-Francois Blas, Chris Riley, Matt Carroll, James Bennett, Ron Keel, Michael Street, Fred Roots, David Gray, Drake, Jason Seth, Tommy Anderson, Jerry from Long Island, Sam Soupy, Joe Ryan, Hank Reeves, 
John Bovari, Leo from Alaska, Andrew Miller, Stephen Rodriguez, Denny Striegel, Jeremy Weltman, Kenny McCrimmon, Jerry from Salt Lake City, Gregory Muse, Johan Erdostrom, Sean Richmond, Mario Schrantz, Glenn Watson, Sean, John, I'm sorry, Gene, <laughs> Gene Eugene DX, Joey Von Cherry, Victor Guzman, Anthony Mackey, Huckney Jacobson, John Simpson, Patrick Sabin, John Barron, Blue Walsh 21, Alan Johnson, Ed Ferguson, and Seth B. You guys rock. You're amazing. Thank you for your support. Let's get into the episode. One of the 50 states of the United States of America is New Jersey, and it is on the East Coast, and it is kind of sandwiched in between, I guess, uh, New York City, Philadelphia, the state of Delaware. In between those borders is a place called New Jersey, a place like no other, a very unique place, a place that is suburban, and to me... New York City, as much as I love it, is and I'm talking primarily Manhattan right now, which is one of the five boroughs, you know, it never really loved metal. It didn't. Metal blossomed in the suburbs. And that's true in Europe, too, from what I, I've learned. You know, Maiden was way more popular outside of London than they were in London. You know, and that's how it was here. And Jersey is the epitome of suburban because you look at it Philadelphia it's right next to Jersey but it's you know not Jersey it's actually in Pennsylvania New York City you know stone's throw from New Jersey but yeah it is not New Jersey so New Jersey in so many ways was working class was suburban such an important part of rock history and then going into heavy metal history and we're going to talk to Two people who know that metal jersey history better than anyone. Two people who have lived it. Photographer Frank White, who's been on the show before. And also Alan Tecchio, my dear friend who I love so much. Man, great to connect with these guys. And then after that interview, we're going to hear from a great rocker chick from New Jersey who is a friend of Emily's. And I I just love her music. Her name is Madison Hatter. She's going to be joining me after and what's cool about this episode it's the first episode in forever where both interviews are in person i'm vaccinated guys i hope you guys get vaccinated when you can just do it just please i'm begging you let's get this world back to normal and it hasn't been easy to get the vaccine i get it but come on start working those refresh buttons on your computer start trying to get in there if you're eligible which i know most of you if you're not already you're soon going to be let's do this together let's get out and rock together i love in-person interviews and having these two interviews both done on my patio in new jersey in maplewood new jersey was really makes this episode very very special to me especially after a year of the zoom nonsense I'm just ready. I want to pull my microphone out. I want to look somebody in the eye. I want to shake their hand after the interview. More about that in a bit. But first, let's look at some headlines. I think last time I looked at the headlines on Brave Words, 
So let's go to Blabbermouth. I love Blabbermouth. All right. So Tommy Thayer, I don't know if you've heard this, guys, but he now has a daughter, which I guess he didn't know about. She's 31 years old, and I don't mean to laugh. It's great. It's great. Uh, And, you know, I think um, it's kind of sad but kind of beautiful. They've discovered each other, but sad that he's lost so much time with her. But anyways, he's uh, been posting pictures of him and his daughter and... Uh, talking about it in interviews so I hope he's happy and I hope that they can form a relationship now and learn about one another because it's a beautiful thing and so cool of him to take ownership of it too and yeah beautiful thing I think it's a a very nice story I I like hearing stuff like that Uh, another headline on Blabbermouth Ronnie James Dio hated singing Ozzy Osbourne era Black Sabbath songs says Vinnie Apice yeah not surprising I I think that's been hinted at in other places maybe Martin Popoff's books I don't know but yeah I don't think that's all that shocking and I think there was a time Sammy Hagar hated singing David Lee Roth era Van Halen songs. I mean, he didn't want to do that, you know, and I can I can totally understand that. However, as a fan of Ozzy era Black Sabbath, you'd like to think that the guy in the band would want to sing those songs for the fans. And and I don't know, you might want to even believe that he liked doing those songs and paying tribute. But I, I understand. Love Ozzy. I love Dio. So there you go. George Lynch says he was dispirited and depressed during Dawkins 1988 tour with Van Halen and Metallica. That would be the Monsters of Rock tour, which I saw at the, I believe it was JFK Stadium or RFK. I think JFK Stadium in Philadelphia with my younger brother and our neighbor came with us. Great memories of that show. And I get that. It was kind of a weird time for Dawkins and and it was Metallica really kind of stole the thunder of that show and they played second and there was a lot of controversy that they should have been on after Dokken. So, uh, yeah, I, I understand that. And I think it was a weird time for, for Dokken for sure because, you know, in 1988, the times were starting to change. There's this headline out now about the art of anarchy record and about Scott Whalen being sued over him not wanting to promote it and trashing it. And I don't know. So I guess these guys in the band were guys who worked for Vice, Vice Inc. So that's Vice Magazine, I guess. I don't know. I got to research this. I kind of skimmed it and found the whole thing fascinating. The one thing that isn't fascinating is obviously some of the people in this Art of Anarchy band. I don't know if you remember this band, guys, with Bumblefoot and and Scott Welland, and then they got the guy from what guy did they get after that? Was it Scott? What was the other guy that came in? Scott Stapp? Is that his name? I can't remember. But anyways, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think that's who it was from Creed. But obviously, they had money, you know. So if they worked for Vice Inc., I would think Vice Inc. is a is a big money making company. You don't get those guys in your band without paying them well, you know? So, uh, I liked some of those Art of Anarchy songs with Scott Whalen. I, I thought it was sad that he was trashing them. And also had heard behind the scenes that he initially liked them. So, weirdness. Scott 
Whalen, a very sad story, obviously, and I, I, I always loved him. Saw him numerous times in concert. Always put on a good show. You know, always delivered the goods, in my opinion. So let's uh, leave it there with our blabbermouth.net headlines, and let's get in to my interview with Frank White, a rock star photographer, and Alan Tecchio, one of my favorite voices out of New Jersey, Wow, what a voice on Alan. I've had the pleasure of actually playing with Alan, doing a handful of shows with him. And wow, so much fun. So let's do this. Here's my conversation with these guys on my patio. I'm totally psyched because I'm sitting here doing an in-person interview on my patio here in Maplewood, New Jersey. And man, it is just so nice to see people face to face after a year of the Zoom interviews. We have the dogs uh, who are attacking pizza boxes in the in the background of this interview. But I am here with my good friend Alan Tecchio and Frank White, two New Jersey guys who, uh, again, were nice enough to come to the house here to do an interview. They have something they're working on together. And I want to hear about that. But first, let me just see, check in with you guys, see how you're doing. Alan, how how you been? Strange yeah, thank year, God, right? Yeah, very, very weird year. Nothing like this has ever happened, but we got through it. And thankfully, everybody I'm with is safe and healthy. So I'm happy, you know? Awesome. So Alan, of course, has played with so many different bands from Hades to nonfiction to Autumn Hour, Level Fields, Mike LaPone. I'm sure I'm missing some, but <laughs> there's so many. And aggressor. Aggressor. Okay. <laughs> so many great, great releases that you've given us through the years and uh, one of my favorite voices. So it's so great to have you here. Frank, one of my favorite photographers. Last time I interviewed you was at the KISS convention in December 2018, I want to say. Okay. Or maybe it was January 2019. I'm not sure. Somewhere right. around there. Yeah, it was no, it was, it was, it was definitely before Christmas time. It was yeah. definitely in okay. December of yeah. that year. Yeah, that was a yeah. fun convention, I was, um, man. It was. I was uh, selling my... Uh, my hardcover book on Ronnie James Dio, right. Life and Vision, 1975 to 2009. Yes, yes, yes. You had a table there and some just amazing photos. I always think about you as a as a young boy, maybe teenager, going into Madison Square Garden to shoot <laughs> yeah. Led Zeppelin. Yes, and at 12. You, at 12. <laughs> That's how old my son is. 12 wow. and a half. Oh, my it's, gosh. It's and you, into the city. Yeah. Yes. You, what happened? You snuck out of your house? I mean, no. your parents, no. Um, you know, back in 75, you know, we lived in uh, Bergenfield, very right. nice town to grow up and, you know, raise a family and, and just, you know, as a kid. I uh, I was close to a lot of different things, and so I was uh, always I was into music for a few years, and I would watch on TV like uh, Ed Sullivan, Midnight Special, in concert, and I seen kids my age, a little older, watching their favorite band, and right. I wanted to do the same thing. So I had this idea in my head that maybe one day I can go see a show soon, and uh, my mom was teaching me how to work a camera because she was a photographer. And so she had cameras around the house. And so one day I came up with the idea of going to a concert in 1975. And the first one was Led Zeppelin. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so... That's I, your first concert. Yeah, That's my mom and my and my mom ta- and my mom taught me how to get into the city because she didn't like to drive, right? And so she would use the bus and subway to get to her mom, her parents' house in the Bronx. Yeah, but she didn't teach you no when you would do that. No, she yeah. just. But I just remembered over and over again for like, you know, within four years 
of how to get into the city. Yeah. And so I just kept that in mind, and uh, I found out the date for uh, Led Zeppelin performing at Madison Square Garden. It was on February 12th, 1975. And so I came up with the plan of after school, I would tell my mom, you know, I'm going to be over at a friend's house, uh, but... We'll probably have dinner over there and that I'll be home like around midnight, you know, because I was going to be right down the street. Right. And uh, so I did go down the street, but I went to the uh, bus stop. Right. And I was able to sneak my mom's camera out in a plastic bag and I put it in my leather jacket because it was snowing that day. Yeah. And so she didn't see it when I left and my father was still at work and my sisters were outside somewhere. And so I just ended up going up to the corner uh, and I crossed the street and I happened to see the first bus coming down the street on the main drag and it happened to be a bus going into New York City. Right. And so I stopped it, I hailed it down, I stopped and I got on and I said, I'm going to, you know, Madison Square Garden. He goes, okay, this is this bus will take you down towards uh, the Port Authority, which is like right, right near it. And so I paid him whatever it was, and I ended up going down to New York City for right. the first time on my own. Yeah. And, and as I, a 12-year-old, you made that walk in the 70s yeah, down probably 8th Avenue. And so I landed at 40- was not a great walk. I landed at 42nd <laughs> Street, and outside there's hookers, you know, and right. pimps, and yeah. there's uh, porno movies and, and Bruce Lee movies, you know, playing right down the street. And, yeah. uh, and I had to find out where I where I was going so I asked somebody and they told me oh go down that way it's about like eight or nine blocks and so on my way down luckily there was a uh, there was a store that sold camera equipment and other things so I went inside there and bought a roll to a film and so the next thing I had did you have a pass to shoot? no I had to uh, go buy a ticket and luckily there was uh, a a seat available in the front part of the orchestra at the garden so I was in rows within rows of the stage and uh, when I finally got inside I was like amazed because last time I was in there was for a circus right (laughs) so my my father never took me to a basketball game so I didn't know what the place you know would look like and so I just found my seat and I waited till the uh, lights went out and then I headed right for the stage for some reason I just got up and I wanted to be a little closer and I found a seat that was really like in the first row that no one didn't right. sit, get a chance to sit in yet. So I sat there and I was like, whoa, I was amazed at what I was seeing. So I was kind of like nervous at first. So I just kind of got myself together and was able to uh, start taking pictures. But I was in front of Jimmy Page of all things, you know? Wow. And so I was on that side of the stage. And so I concentrated mostly on Robert and uh, Jimmy. And, An amazing uh, story. And, yeah. yeah. So That's how it started. Wow. And let's talk about what you guys are doing together because I have no idea. Alan told me that he's doing something with photographer Frank White, and I was like, well, that sounds cool, but I have no clue how Alan, the musician vocalist, is working with Frank White, the photographer. You guys obviously have a love of a lot of mutual bands and music, I'm sure, but let me turn the microphone over to you guys and you can tell us what's going on. So Alan talking here, basically Frank and I know each other since I was in a band called Prophecy. So we go way, way back. But Frank, you can talk about how the idea for the book came up because it was yours. Yeah. um, You know, I've been in photographing music for over 40 years. And in 2019, I've already did a book with uh, Ronnie James Dio and one on the Misfits. And I was figuring on doing a book just solely on the state of New Jersey for some reason. I had this idea of just doing as many bands as I could from the state over the course of, I don't know, I was thinking like the early 70s. And uh, it ended up where 
I figured, okay, well, I might need somebody else to maybe give me a hand with this, and maybe another writer. But don't forget about the Dio book. That's where that started. Right. And so what happened was I um, had my Dio book out, and it was out there to be reviewed. And Stepping Out originally, I had I got them to review it. Explain what Step Out is. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, mostly a, a New Jersey uh, free publication. It's, it shows all the where the places to play, clubs, you know, entertainment. Actually, I did that for Metropolis Nights. Well, no, but the thing is, though, but the, th- but the thing was, I had to get this, I had to pick up the Stepping Out magazine, and it happened to be at Dingo's in Clifton. And Freddie Dingo, who owns it, happened to walk in when uh, I was picking it up. And so we got to talking again because I haven't seen him in a while. And he goes, why don't you come over to uh, Dingbats? And I'm like, okay. So we went over to Dingbats. And I happened to look in the corner and there was a magazine called Metropolis Nights. And I'm like, wow, I haven't seen this before that I can remember. So he goes, yeah, uh, Alan Tecchio, he, he does a column in it. And I'm like, oh, wow, I know Alan for, for years. You know, I've shot him many times. So he goes, uh, yeah. He goes, oh, I'm good friends with him. I go, okay, well, listen, can you hook me up with him so I can maybe have him review my Dio book? And he did, and I got in touch with Alan, and he reviewed it, and from then we started having a little, like, meeting to get together and hang out, and uh, the next thing you know, uh, I'm sitting in a restaurant with him, and I asked, I turn to Alan, I go, hey, Alan, how would you like to be part of my uh, my book on uh, the New Jersey metal scene? He goes, I'd love to, and so here we I are. I can do all the layout, and I can do all the editing and I stuff, didn't know, so I, And at first... I just I wanted him to be like a writer, and we were gonna find like maybe a a place to maybe do the book, you know, like a publisher. But it turned out that the publisher thought that it would be best if we did it on our own. And I'm just like, well, we can, you know. Yeah, and I'm thinking, well, we need a graphic artist, somebody that can do it. And Helen goes, oh, I I do graphic arts. I was doing it with uh, with stepping out, Metropolis Nine, stepping out. And so that's when uh, we said, okay, so then I think we can do it on our own, and. So we, we said, okay, we'll both do writing, we'll interview some bands, and I'll provide most of the photographs, and we're going to call the book Jersey Metal, A History of the Garden State's Heavy Metal Scene from 1969 to 2021. Wow, this sounds amazing, and what two better people to do this? I mean, there's no one better, is what I'm trying to say, than right. you guys. I mean, you grew up in that scene. I mean, there's so much history here. Uh, it was a place really where, you know, Metallica played their first gig ever with Kurt Hammett, right? Yeah. Out at near out in the Dover area, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I mean, there was the... April 16th, I believe, 1983. Wow, okay, yeah. yeah. And there was, of course, the, what is it, the militia um, uh, the old bridge metal militia yeah who was very very important in the whole birth of thrash metal and that whole that whole scene so i mean this was definitely an important place i mean people think of u.s metal and uh, you know of course there's the the tampa death metal scene there's the la scene right for you know the san francisco scene but new jersey and new york uh extremely important in that early 80s metal scene throughout the 80s right. and into the 90s and, and still I just, going, yeah. All right, and I just talked to uh, Metal Joe the other day, and they're more than happy to be in our uh, book. Metal so, Joe from, from the Old Bridge Metal Militia, Militia yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Rock and Ray deal. Yep, so they'll be, they'll be in the book for sure. Yeah. And when is the first time you guys remember meeting each other? I mean, or shooting Alan or... Do you, first... 
The first time I met Alan was when we did a photo session for Prophecy over in New Milford back in 1984, I believe. Sounds right. Yeah. So, Alan, this is pre-Hades for you, Prophecy. Let's talk, let's go back to that band. Can you tell us about that band, where you guys played, how old were you, what the the deal is with Prophecy, an early 80s metal band from New Jersey with Alan Tecchio? Absolutely. So it was my first like real band. Uh, My buddy Sam Helsel, Sandy Helsel, he went by back then, was a bass player, Uh, Scott LePage whose name you might know because he was in Hades as well later, uh, was the guitar player and Joe D'Angeli was our drummer. And Joey knew Frank and that Frank was making a name for himself shooting like all these real big major bands. And Frank had never done, correct me if I'm wrong, an actual photo shoot with a band. Right. The only time I actually did anything off stage with a band was with ACDC when I met them in 1980 after Bon Scott died. I happened to find out where uh, ACDC was staying in New York City, and they were staying at a hotel on 57th Street, and I actually made arrangements to hang out <laughs> with, the, with, the band, with the band members, Angus, Brian, um, Malcolm, and uh, Cliff, and, um, and I was able to take photographs of them offstage, and I wasn't even working with a magazine at the time, but that was my first experience with a professional band offstage. And I just didn't photograph them as a group, though. I photographed them like kind of like individually and the candid shots. Yeah, so, more candid shots. But you know, a little, a little on the paparazzi was... side, but we were like, they were cool. They were so cool. I love the ACDC. They were so cool with me and my friend because we we weren't related to any uh, uh, music magazine or company. We were just fans. And I guess maybe it's the way I talked to Angus on the phone. Told him, I mean, I'd love to meet you. He goes, Yeah, we're gonna be down the next day in the in the hotel lobby. Hang, come down and hang out. And I'm like, Okay. So I come down the, the next day with my friend, and there they are. And like, so he was totally truthful with me, not pulling any pranks. And then from the, as then I fell right in love with them, like even more. I'm people. sure, I'm sure. You know, but this was the so first nice time you set a band up, like staged us, yeah. made us pose. So a few years you know, later, whatever. it took before I be- got my first photo session going, and it happened to be with Prophecy. So that's when we first met. I remember that vividly. Uh, Prophecy only did a couple of original songs. We did a lot of covers, Queensryche, Metallica, Judas Priest. Priest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, we played little bars and, and actually a lot of like churches and VFWs and stuff like that because we were all underage. So there were a couple of gigs we did where there was like liquor serve but for the most part it was not you know it was all ages shows and churches and stuff like that youth halls and it was really cool um i ended up leaving the band to join aggressor which was a band that we kind of emulated ourselves after or modeled ourselves after uh they were a little older than us i ended up getting in that band because the singer got a another gig and he offered me it's kind of like how the watchtower thing happened for me the singer was my connection to get the singer's gig and i joined aggressor for just a year we spent a whole year like practicing like crazy and did like one gig at the showplace in dover and i was like i i want to be playing all the time and at this time scott lepage and sandy helsel had already joined hades so they were looking for a singer and they eventually came around to me and aggressor was just kind of frustrating at that point because we weren't playing a lot and hades had a lot of demos of original music out so i was like really into the songwriting and stuff and and dan's riffs uh so that led me into hades and then the rest is history and frank shot me in pretty much every band i've ever been in since then it's funny because i photographed hades the year before at a band show in paramus and uh i didn't know how long that band was going to last and and then Alan comes along within a year and a half or so later. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. As people who saw this scene evolve and and grow in New Jersey, the metal scene, 
What were some of the biggest bands that stuck out to you besides your own band, Hades? What are some of the other bands that you remember as being important and popular? And what are some of the clubs that also were a big deal? I know Birch Hill and yeah, why don't you start with the clubs, Frank, and then maybe Alan you can comment well, a little bit on the that. Clubs, the bands. When I started going to the clubs, um, it would be like uh, the soap factory. Uh, the Cirque Circus in uh, Bergenfield before it turned into the circus. Uh, the Hole in the Wall, Mothers. I think Orbit Inn I went to a couple of times in Creskill. Mostly the Northern Jersey clubs. Uh, it was just easier and closer for me to get to. Because before that, I was from 75 to like the, right around 80, 79, 80 time period. I was photographing all the major artists that the, that the cover bands and tribute bands in New Jersey were performing in our club scene. So at the time, I was more interested in photographing the major artists. And by the time I got to the club scene, it was the first band really that I photographed was Twisted Sister, you know, who turned into a New York band because originally they were a New Jersey band back in like 73 until about 75. And then they started getting Eddie Ojeda and uh, D and Mark and, you know, and just went on from there. So, um, so I started photographing them and then I got into Monroe, uh, and, um, and then there were like other bands like Phantoms Opera, uh, who I saw and then E. Walker. Um, and then there was like, uh, Pantera before the Pantera from Texas, uh, that were from Jersey. Um, and like, uh, a few others. You know, in general, and uh, and then I think Alan came along and started playing the uh, what club scene, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Around around '84. Yep, something like that. Yeah, in it's fact, the first time I photographed him live was at a church basement at St. Matthew's Church in Bergenfield. Yeah. And uh, you know they were doing the best of uh, the heavy metal. Yeah. Genre, yeah. and uh, so I think didn't I photograph you before we did the photo session? Maybe. Yeah, I think we. Fo- I think I photographed you live, and then we did the photo session. That might possibly. be true, but I don't think we hung out that much. That no, night. we didn't. Yeah, we just yeah. was very brief. It was Alan, very brief. What bands do you remember? What bands were, were so, really had an impact on you, local bands? Uh, I remember sneaking into Circus Circus in Bergenfield, the club that uh, Frank just mentioned, to see Aggressor open for Tertia, which was the Judas Priest show. Pete Tersh's band, who went on to become a big heavy metal promoter all through the '90s in Jersey. Um, I remember Prowler. We would compete with those guys. They were really good. Um, you know, Tertian, those guys were a few years older than us, so they were out there playing the, the gigs in the bars, and I was sneaking into a bar underage, you know. So I, I came to it a little bit later. I mean, I'm old now, but back then I was on the younger side. And so I missed out on the early stuff, like bands like White Tiger. You'd hear them on the radio that they were being playing the Fountain Casino and playing all these different big clubs. Twisted Sister was always on the radio, Phantom's Opera, like you said. There were lots of bands like that that I kind of missed out on that scene. So for me... To finally get to your question, uh, when we started playing out a lot, it was a lot of, uh, there was actually a scene, and we would definitely compete with these other bands, like Prowler's a good example, um, but we were also going to their shows and supporting, like we all helped each other, and even though we were there to maybe promote our show at the same venue a few weeks from there, we would be in the venue and we'd be hanging out with those guys, and there were just a lot of cool guys. Monroe was always playing. I remember Monroe used to sell lingerie with their logos on it for women. Like they were the marketing geniuses that really set the bar Underwear, for that stuff. Exactly. 
Um, so, I mean, there, there were a ton of bands, but I think when we really started getting into it, um, there were bands like Deadly Blessing down in South Jersey that we played a lot of shows with. Uh, I'm trying to think now. We, we were really trying to get on all the opening gigs as much as possible. So when Hades started playing, when I was in Hades, we'd open for, thanks to our bass player, Jimmy Shulman, having a connection at Lemoore. We ended up opening for Flotsam and Jetsam, Metal Church, Megadeth, Anthrax, Overkill a million times, like all the really big bands. And that helped us kind of get our teeth into the scene. And also, I ended up being the house photographer for Lemoore. Wow. Uh, and I was there for over tw- I was there for over 20 years, and yeah. I photographed Alan there with Hades, you know, a few times. Right on. Yeah. So, New Jersey was, is kind of a unique place because and we have people who listen to this all over the world. To explain the, the the state of New Jersey, one of the United States' fifty states, it, it's it part. The north part seems to be more influenced by New York, whereas South Jersey is kind of its own thing, maybe a Philly influence right. in a way. Yeah. So there's almost were there two different scenes going on within yes. the state? Would you? I think yeah, so. I would think so. Definitely. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of times the bands from down south wouldn't really make it too much up north, and vice versa. You know, I mean. There could have been at times, but like to it seemed like a lot of times they were circulating either in the New York, possibly New York, New York State, or uh, the North Jersey area. Right on, right on. Yeah. And let's let's talk about the book right now. What can we expect in the book? Is this like uh, well, I think right writing now, and photos. You said, and yes. is it? A, do you trace yeah. the history, or are you hitting certain bands? How's it going to be laid out? We're trying to hit every band. That came out in the metal scene, but also what started in the uh, late 60s, early 70s was the people that were the template for uh, the Jersey uh, metal scene. And uh, so we're starting out with bands like Gabriel, uh, Silver Star, who turned into uh, Twisted. Harlow. Harlow. Um, another uh, another Pretty Face. And then T. Roth, of course, came along with the band. Um, and then uh, we have... Uh, other bands like Monroe when they started, and then uh, we go into uh, uh, bands like uh, Harlot. Uh, Ray Gillen was in that band, yeah. you know. Uh, and then we go um, into um, bands um, like uh, Prophecy, yeah. uh, Aggressor, E Walker. You know, so there's a, a little mix there. We're kind of doing um, it by date, right? We're going yeah, in time, and we're going in the and, we're, and we're starting a timeline from 1969, and we go all the way to 2021. So it's a mixture of mostly cover and tribute bands in the beginning, because there weren't really any signed metal bands in the 70s to, uh, that were except Twisted Sister. You know, but they weren't really signed as of like a full, but where they brought an album out, you know, that, that took years later. So basically we, uh, we start out with whatever was available at the time, which were basically uh, cover bands and tribute bands that were just doing like the Who, Kiss. I'll tell you, T.T. Quick is a good example because they were a big, really good cover band with a huge draw. Yeah. And then they got into their own originals, and they got their deal with Megaforce and did original music. You but know? that wasn't so, that until that the was 80s. later. That was yeah. later, exactly. So, so right now, so the seventies is more like basically just cover and tribute bands that were, uh, you know, just trying to get out there and uh, show what they were made of. We're trying to keep it big with the images, so a lot of big photos and stuff like that. But the writing, I think, to your question is stories from us, anecdotal stories from us, and you know, uh, his story about getting into the city at twelve. Like that's certainly a part of it. Um, and just, I haven't even really started writing my parts yet. I'm doing a lot, all the layout and we're probably 
16 pages into it that are finished. But we, yeah. you know, we got a we're lot like of work a, to we're, do. We're still. like right now in the mid 70s. Yeah, where I'm talking about like going. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about within the first year of photographing uh, the bands. I was photographing, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin, Chicago, Alice Cooper, Robin Trower, uh, the Eagles, um, Rainbow, and uh, Aerosmith, and so forth. So we're kind j- of Black Oak. Photos be included? Yes. Oh yeah. Of course. Any bands that played Jersey. And then, of course, uh, when I started photographing the the bands in the club scene. And Jersey bands were like basically more like in the in the 80s, you know, because like I said, I'm covering all the bands in the 70s um, as the major bands at the Garden, Academy of Music, wherever I went to photograph, while the New Jersey bands, which were only covering tribute, were only covering the bands that I was seeing. So my photos from the club scene would start in the 80s, where I'll also have photos from shot at the garden and the other places in the 70s pages so this is really going to be special because not only are you going to see local new jersey bands and i'm sure fashions and and stuff like that 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 you that that will be just a great trip back to the 80s but you're also going to get to see the bands you know like the bands you're just mentioning it's not going to be just some obscure Jersey band. And I think that's going to be a real special part of this. Go on, Frank. And we're including the clubs, all the clubs that uh, the metal bands played at, and also uh, bands that came from out of state uh, to help make the scene possible, you know, from other states and other countries, you know, that would play like Hitsville, for instance, or the Capitol, or or at the... uh, uh, hole in the wall, or or even in Bergenfield at the circus, circus, you know, right. and uh, and so forth. So it's a it's a mixture of bands from the state and also the bands that came out of state that came into New Jersey to play through the years to make the the heavy metal scene. Right on, in New Jersey. We do need to kind of wind things down here, but I do want to get an uh, update from you, Alan, on your music. But first. When are we thinking you're in the beginning stages of this, it sounds like. So when are we thinking there might be a release and how might we get it? Uh, do we have, are we thinking that far in advance yet? Yeah, we're trying to figure it out. I mean, when I say 16 pages, that's like pretty much done pages that might right. need some tweaking. We have about 200 pages of the timeline right. with all kinds of images. And now what Frank and I are doing, we, we have writing sessions every Monday night at my house. Wow, cool. We're whittling down the stuff that's in the big document that I have and putting it into the final document. So we've got a lot of content. It's not just 16 pages of work we've done wow. so far. And, and then what we're doing is we're taking those pages and we're going to show them to a printer that we're uh, choosing right now. And also, we're going to be uh, sending the pages over to uh, J.J. French, Twisted Sister. Oh, wow. He's going to be doing the preface for the book. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. That's exciting. Cool. Yep. So, one good song for Level Fields came out of this experience so oh, far. excellent. Uh, Frank displayed his wallet to me one night, and it was this... You can show him the wallet if you want. It is really, really old. He's had it forever and ever and oh ever. Oh, my goodness. It's like falling apart. Yeah. So... I've been a lot of ri- stuff in there. And I've been writing, I've been trying to write like more lyrics for, I have a lot of music for Level Fields I just have to write the lyrics to and I haven't had a lot of time. All my time really has been focused on the book aside from my day job. Right. And, you know, we're looking at, the, I'm looking at this wallet on my counter and I'm like, I'm going to write a song about the wallet because I was getting too into 
you know, political lyrics and stuff, and I was getting really angry about a lot of stuff. I'm right. Like, I just want to write a fun song. Right, right. So I wrote a song called Frank White's Wallet, <laughs> and it's it's sung from the perspective of Frank White's wallet and all the, the right and all the adventures right. he's had over the years. So that's, that's I'm awesome. still doing the music, keeping it going. I think that's backburnered a little bit to the book, and the book is the front burner for sure. Right on. We uh, we actually wanted to do a song for the book, you know, but the wallet came out first yeah all right (laughs) we might do a song called jersey metals definitely i would definitely like to do it because they would advertise the book yeah that's a great that's a great idea and um man i'm just having all these flashbacks to how important new jersey has (laughs) been to the 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 global metal scene i mean even megaforce records of course yeah oh they're in the book great we'll have radio stations tag magazines like the aquarian who allowed us into their archives to find tons of really cool old ads and and my friend uh, john comerford who had like a uh, archive of his own uh, collection of aquarians which i started with uh from like 1975 and it went all the way into the 90s and like from 77 to 91 he had every single issue which is wow. like 53 issues per year it takes about three and a half hours to go through each page and we went through it twice with him and me wow and to capture every single ad that related to heavy metal so we could place it in the book where we needed uh, to fill up pages, uh, spaces in the pages. Right, right on. All right, well, I I do want to just say thanks for your patience with this interview, guys, between the dogs and the construction that we're having on. Uh, on our house, uh, worked on on our house right now. It's been a little much, and I'm hearing the drills start up. So we will wind this down. Alan, you've given us so much great music from Watchtower to Hades to Autumn Hour to Level Fields. Any updates that you mentioned? There is a new Level Fields song coming out, Frank White's Wallet, which is... is, uh, Sounds like an amazing uh, subject, especially probably, just seeing the what it could be. Frank, the fattest wallet I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you got a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. The lyrics are really funny. I think I think it's pretty cool. Credit cards. Got a couple new credit cards. You know, business cards and money. You know, yeah, couple. We, uh, PBA cards. <laughs> you, you need those. We uh, we probably have like eight or nine songs total, and they're in various stages of completion. Frank White's Wallet's one of them for Level Fields. So we're just trying to get... We, we actually have like four or five cover songs that we did, and we we're thinking of doing like a cover song EP, but I don't even know if it's worth making like an EP and just... I mean, these days everything's Put digital. Put on Spotify or whatever. Yeah, exactly. We'll make yeah. it a, Maybe that's available. where Frank White's Wallet will end up on Spotify. We'll see how many right. spins we can get it. Get a pulse going. Definitely make it all available <laughs> digitally for sure. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, Alan, where's the best place people can get in touch with you online? Um, well, I mean, I got my Facebook going. That's probably one of the best ways to do it. Uh, just Alan Tecchio, just my name. And uh, I have, you know, a lot of my friends on there are fans, you know. And right on. I, I think that it's it's cool to have that kind of connection that's just like a real person connection beyond just the fact that you're in a band and they like your music. Uh, so probably through Facebook. And Frank, is there a website for you where people can go see some of your work and order the books? I mean, you mentioned that great um, Dio book too. Everyone being, needs to check that out. Being in this business for over 40 years and having my photos uh, literally in so many countries besides the United States and Canada and South America, I never came up with my own website because I've always been selling since I was a kid and my photos ended up in magazines right right after high school. Right. Uh, In fact, uh, the year I graduated from high school, my first photo was published in a local newspaper in Secaucus, which I'm not from, but the writer 
who happened to be in the same store that I was selling photographs at in the 70s called Collector's World, ended up, uh, in the late 70s, ended up uh, getting a photo from me of Greg Lake, putting it in the paper. It was my first published photo. Wow. Then after that, I was on to, uh, the following year, I was on to Relics Magazine, and then uh, Circus, Cream, Hip Parader, Faces, Kerrang, so forth and so on. And so that went on from back then all the way till the computer age came out when we all have our own computers now and I just decided to stay off it because I started hearing people complaining about oh my photo got ripped off and they're using it for this and using it for that and I'm like you know what that scared me even more to even be on it so then uh, finally with my Dio book uh, the Dio book was supposed to be in bookstores and it ended up not being on bookstores just on either on Amazon Wine Republishing or I had to put it out myself and so I decided to do a Facebook page right and okay. so I'm on Facebook. All right. Well, we will link both of those Facebook uh, pages through today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. And uh, in your podcasting app, just open up this episode and you will see all that that info. And yeah, guys, thanks for doing this because I think this is an important part of history that has yet to be Thank you. preserved and documented in a correct way. And it's an important part of the history of the music that we love. So I cannot wait for this and right. very excited. We're most likely going to crowdfund it too so we can well, get you that info at well, some okay. point. It's more of a less of a, we're going we're gonna to have a link where it's going to be, you're going to prepay for the book. And then we'll have your name in the thank you pages. Oh, cool. For, for buying the book ahead of time and trusting us. Right. And uh, hopefully we'll have it out by the end of the year. We'll see All how right. it goes. Well, why don't we do this? Uh, the end of the year, you guys come back here. I'll right. meet up with you somewhere. I, I come to your house or whatever, Alan, and we will have another interview to celebrate the release of this. Of course. And hopefully at that point I can look through it and I will have some uh, actual points from the book that we can discuss. That and would it, be awesome. Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. I appreciate today too. We both do. But I'll try to get you that crowd info, the crowdfunding info before that so okay. maybe we can get that sure. out there. Yes. We're going to do that in advance as we go through the process of the book. We're just not ready with it yet. Right on. Right on. Cool. And again, thanks for being part of an in-person interview, something I've really been missing. It's my f first of two in-person interviews that I'm doing today. We have somebody else coming here later tonight for an interview. Oh, good. So Keep busy. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm so tired of the Zoom stuff, to be honest, sitting in my basement. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so this is great. Even with the distractions of Otis the dog here. And the birds <laughs> in the background. Yeah, away. yeah. <laughs> Great. Guys, thank you so much. And again, everyone check out the show notes for more information on Alan Tecchio, the vocalist of so many great projects and bands, Watchtower, Hades, Level Fields, uh, nonfiction. Did I mention nonfiction? Yeah, so, so much. So much great history. Screaming Metal. We did two shows together as Screaming Metal. I, I watched... Um, us doing Looks That Kill by Motley Crue. It was really good, man. We, we, we killed that. We killed that. Yeah, it's up on YouTube. Maybe I'll link that in the show notes, too. Yeah, fun stuff. And, and we'll get you probably the cover eventually. So perfect. you can put it out. Yep, great, great. Thank you, Frank. Thank You're you, welcome. Alan. Thank you. All right, Frank White and Alan Tecchio in the flesh, man, on my patio. Wow, loving this episode uh, this is where we're going, man. We're returning to normal. I'm getting together with people in person. No more of a year long, over a year long of Skype interviews with, yeah, over the summer there were a few in-persons on my patio, but not many. Man, I'm I'm just psyched, man. This was great. Thank you to Frank White and Alan Tecchio for joining me on my patio. 
And wow, Alan's work on that last couple Mike LaPon records have been just great. Silent Assassins. If you haven't heard those, check those out. And a big shout out to Glenn Watson, who is one of my dear patrons, a guy who pays money to support what I do here every month on Patreon. Big shout out to you, man, because you're the one who DM'd me on Patreon, where I respond and pay close attention to any direct message that comes my way from my patrons on Patreon, way more so than like a publicist emailing me. You know, the, the patrons are the ones that matter because they're part of this. But anyways, Glenn Watson, man, thank you for nudging me to connect with my old friend, Alan Tecchio. And so great to see him. So great to see Frank White, who I'm always seeing at shows. And, oh, God, bring the shows back. You know, we got Madison Hatter coming up, by the way. Another in-person on this all-New Jersey episode of Talking Metal. Another in-person interview. But a profound thing that I thought about ever since it happened after the interview was done. Now, I'm fully vaccinated. I'm kind of waiting for all you guys, the rest of the world, to catch up to where I am because I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to live, you know, and uh, going out to restaurants and stuff. And yeah, I, I know, I know you. Well, there might be variants and all this stuff. Yeah, but I'm vaccinated. Guys, I got to live my life and I know you do too. So that's where I'm at. But after the interview, Frank White put his hand out and it was weird, man. No one shakes hands anymore. You know, and I shook the man's hand. And let me tell you, it felt freaking great. And then Alan stuck his hand out and I shook Alan's hand. And it was like a slow motion moment because I didn't know if I should pull back and do the, the fist bump or the virtual thing, you know. But well, I don't know if Alan and Frank are vaccinated. I don't care. I am. I'm living my life. I'm moving on. It's time for physical contact, handshakes, hugs, all that good stuff to return, you know, and I respect if you want to wait until you're vaccinated to do that. It's probably the smart thing to do, really. But we got to get back to normal, people. Let's all work together to get there, all right? Because we can't do this any longer. I'm done. I'm done. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to rock. Want to live life again. Man. That's why this episode was so awesome. To have people come to me. Sit down with me. Madison Hatter joined me on the patio. And we had the bonfire going. The solo stove that I have. Throwing logs on that. After the interview we had a drink. Hung out. Emily joined us. Emily has been friends with Madison Hatter for a while. And... This was really a fun interview for me because I got to know Madison a little bit better. You know, she had hung out a little bit here and there with me uh, when I was with Emily, but Emily has spent way more time with her. So it was really fun for me to learn about her and help promote this great music that she has going on. You know, I wouldn't call it like straight out heavy metal, you know, so if, if that's all you listen to, you might not feel what she's doing but if you like aggressive in your face rock that gets really loud at times and has some really great attitude 
you need to check out what she's doing because she's got some great music going on. And let's let me shut up. Let's just let her tell us about it. Okay, here we go. My conversation with Madison Hatter in Maplewood, New Jersey, on my patio just this past Saturday. Here we go. Hey, it's Mark Striegel, and we are back on my patio for another interview. There have been very few in-person interviews this past year, as you guys know, and I'm so excited to be doing another in-person interview with somebody that Emily and I have been a fan of, who is a local artist here in the New Jersey area, Madison Hatter. How are you? I'm great. It's so good to see you. It's surreal. (laughs) Yeah, we were just talking before the interview started, and... I had my, my birthday party at the house here. We had a bunch of people over and and you came and, and your son Jack was, was with you. That mm-hmm. was a great night. So fun. Um, and it was it's odd because I think about that party a lot because, you know, three, four months after that, I guess like three and a half months after that, we kind of shut down everything and the world was, you know, in some ways on pause and... I think about that party a lot. So I, just because it was one of the last big events that happened before the shutdown. You're probably so happy that you did that yeah, party. Yeah, I so really fun. am because it's a great memory. And thank you for being a part of that of memory. Course. Thank but you let's for talk me. about you before we get into the music, before we talk about all this great stuff you're doing musically. Uh, how are you dealing with things this past year? You know, it's been a roller coaster. It feels like it's been 20 years, but at the same time, it feels like it's gone by in the blink of an eye because every day is so similar to the one before. It's been one long day, pretty much. Like a really, really long day where I haven't gotten enough sleep. Right. (laughs) But I mean, it's been good. There's been a lot of um, blessings, like family time, being home. Um, My husband's been working from home the whole time. Usually he's commuting in and out of the city. Um, We have a three-year-old, so being home with him and having that family time has been great. Um, I'm usually at home anyway. I'm a stay-at-home mom. So, um, you know, that's been going on. My son just started going back to school. Um, I've been reading a lot. I was a bookworm growing up, and I totally fell out of it um, once I went to high school. I read like 50 books really? since wow. the pandemic started. Wow, that's and it's amazing. just like reawakened yeah. my love of reading and books. So yeah, that's been good. But I mean, it's tough. It's tough being home. It's tough uh, being home with a very active three-year-old. I feel badly. I have to keep telling him like the zoo is closed. Right. Sorry. <laughs> you know, right. We've been overly cautious because I'm also helping my parents who live in the area, like grocery shop and stuff like that. Right. So, you know, we've been abundantly cautious um, right. with going out. Um, well, good. But yeah. Well, good. Well, hopefully we do have a light at the end of the tunnel now. We can all get back to doing what we do in person and together. And this is a good first step for that doing, uh, you're the second interview of the day that I've done here on the patio. Wow. Thank you. (laughs) So great stuff. And let's talk about some other great stuff. That is the new music you're working on. There was an Aerosmith cover, which I believe dropped not too long ago, but what I just saw just over the last week or so is the music video. And you also sent me the, the MP3 for a great song, Wild and strange yes. brand new I mean the the songwriting's great I love the guitar playing we're going to talk about all that 
But um, yeah, the production is also just so rich and in your face. And I listen to it, you know, with my AirPods on with the the noise canceling going and such a strong production. So let's let's start there. Where did you record this? Was this uh, a virtual thing being that we are? in COVID or how did it actually work? Some of it was virtual. Most of it was, and thank you, by the way, I really appreciate that. Um, Most of it was recorded out of Rob Bailey's uh, studio, his home studio. Right. And we had done the drums a while ago. We had done um, just the outline of the song a while ago, vocals a while ago before the pandemic. Um, And we filled in bass and we did all the guitars during the pandemic. So that was virtual. Right. Okay. So we kind of had like the framework there and um, yeah, it was a hybrid effort. Yeah. And the song again, guys, is wild and strange. There is just uh, another awesomely produced music video for the song, which uh, I'm a TV guy, so I do want to talk about that eventually. But now let's let's talk about this song um, and Nobody's Fault, the Aerosmith cover, which was also very cool. And there's additional music coming too, right? There is, yes. I have a new song that's being released May 21st. That's the next one. Okay. And then more music after that, but there's no definitive dates for those yet. And you mentioned a guy by the name of Rob Bailey, who's been on this show before. It's been a number of years, but he's somebody that I've known for a very, very long time. I went to Berkeley College of Music with him and met him because he lived next door to me. And I I may have told you this story before, but when, I may not have, but when uh, my roommate, my college doormate, or my college roommate, uh, my doormate, I guess, is when his girlfriend would come up, I would go into Rob's room to give oh, them some funny. privacy and, and uh, spend the night in Rob's room. And, and Rob would talk. And he was only like a year or so older than me, but I always felt like he had such wisdom. You he know? does yeah. have such wisdom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely. And that's so cool that you guys have that connection. Yeah. He produced this song. He mixed it as well. He played on it. And he played and produced um, the Nobody's Fault, the Aerosmith one as well. Um, I had been playing with him um, for a while, him and Frank and Brett, and then another Rob who's on the next song that I'm releasing. Um, They play under the name Mule Kick in the city. And um, they've invited me to hop up with them a bunch of times. Right. Um, and so I've, that's, I've seen you do that. and that, It's been so fun. Yeah. That is a great night. Um, mule, the Mule Kick night where they have special guests come up on stage and jam with them. But back to the song Wild and Strange. You, you We mentioned Rob Bailey, who, again, I have a long history with. And let's talk about the other people on the song. I mean, the drummer we've seen play in front of stadium crowds, literally, and he's playing on this tune with you. I mean, really amazing. Guns N' Roses, Frank Ferrer. Let's talk about that, because that's a pretty big deal, in my opinion, that you have this drummer playing with you. Not only on this, he's played with you in the past. I've seen you play live with him in New Jersey. Um, Let's talk about your, let's go back in history. How did you get to know Frank and develop this musical relationship with him? Cool. Um, Frank is a good friend of mine and I met him a few years ago. I was supposed to be opening for Hookers and Blow, which is Dizzy Reed's uh, band um, out in LA. And I saw that he had, that Hookers and Blow had a date in New York Okay. And I wanted to go check it out before the L.A. date just to, you know, experience it, to see it. Um, 
and it seemed like it would be like a fun night. So I went there and Frank and Rob have this other band called Pisser. Yes. And or now they're calling it PSSR. Um, PSSR, who are awesome, amazing. Um, they were playing the same night and I caught their set, thought they were, you know, out of this world and um, introduced myself to Frank and right. he lives in New Jersey. I live in New Jersey. Um, I got his email address and I was hoping, you know, uh, you know, shoot for the stars. Maybe one day I could work with him. Yeah. Um, but he was also just a really chill guy. He's an um, approachable guy. Exactly. Which, which I think now that he's gotten so famous that sometimes, you know, that's hard because he has so many people approaching him. But yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's rare. Yeah. It's rare to see that. Um, so I thought that was really cool. And fast forward, I don't know like how much further down the road, but he invited me to go to the Mule Kick show, right. um, me and Steven, to go to the Mule Kick show and see what they were doing. And at the time, they were playing at Beast of Bourbon in Brooklyn. Uh, such a cool spot. You could like sit and eat some awesome barbecue and experience these like rock legends playing right in front of you. I was so excited to see them play and also to get up on stage. They, in advance, had told me... Um, these two songs to learn and one was helter skelter which i knew kind of like the back of my hand i love playing that song live it's just such a trip and then the other one um was stop dragging my heart around stevie nicks right. and yep. uh tom, tom petty, petty yep. and i memorized the song specifically for this gig and i was so nervous i literally wrote the lyrics all over my hand like you couldn't even see the skin of my hand because yeah. it was just bad which like obviously if I'm on stage like I'm not going to be able to to see that but it made me feel better at the time so I got up on stage and I performed both songs with them it was amazing to you know be in their company and to watch them play they're such a tight band and they're such amazing musicians individually but then as a unit it's just like out of this world so great um so I did those two songs and then Rob Bailey kind of like looked at me and he was like, do you know, I think, I think the name of the song was Rock Me. It was a blues song that I didn't know. Um, but I'm on stage with these legends and I didn't want to be like, no, sorry, I don't know it. And then just kind of like, you know, shuffle off the stage. Um, he, he looked at me, he's like, it's, it's a blues progression. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> let's do it. Sure. Yes. Yes. I know that one. Um, Man, like the balls. I like if yeah. I in this moment I don't know if I'd be able to like say that again. <laughs> right. Um or do that again, but You went for so, it. Yeah. I went yeah. for it and I was literally coming up with the melody and the lyrics on the spot. Right. With these like ridiculously awesome guys Boys, and they were yeah. so supportive. I yeah. mean that that's one of the things that I love about them. They're so encouraging and supportive and make you feel so comfortable. So, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why I was like, okay, Sure. And I don't know how it went. I mean, I got through it. Yeah. It actually was an amazing learning moment for me. Right. Um, coming from like a theater background, um, I feel like I always put the the rhymes first, like right. writing a song, like the rhymes, the lyrics first, which like I still do sometimes, but just having to listen to right. what they were playing and to figure out where it was going next and to, to understand the communication between the instruments mm -hmm. and what that meant as a vocalist, that was really a turning point for me Wow! Um, in that moment. I think that really 
helped me figure out what I needed to do, what work I needed to do to work on myself to be right. better. Wow. Um, so yeah, that, that meant a lot to me. And I kept in touch with all those guys um, after that night. And I went to Mule Kick a bunch more times. Sometimes I'd get up there. Sometimes I just enjoy, you know, watching them and kind of soaking it all in and trying to learn as much from them as I could. Um, right. And Frank's been such a good friend. He's been a good friend to me. He's been a good friend to my family. He's met Jack a bunch of times. He played um, when he moved out to L.A., he played my show at the Whiskey when I opened for Lita Ford, as did Rob. Rob right. flew out for that. You have gig. some videos on your YouTube page of yes. that, like the uh, I was watching the Touch Too Much ACDC Love cover, which song. is great. Everyone yeah, should that- check that out. We'll link Madison Hatter's YouTube page through the show notes today on this episode. And again, Madison is talking about Mule Kick, which was this kind of what monthly event where. Mm-hmm. Rob Bailey, this great guitar player um, who's played with David Johansson and and Pisser and tons of other people. And Frank Frere, who, of course, we know from Guns N' Roses, uh, would do these jams. And it's just such a fun night. And it would be great if that returns sometimes. I'd I'd love to see Mule Kick. We can only hope. And then they moved to Arlene's on the Lower East Side, which is also an amazing epic night. And I went to one that was like, they did one or two in New Jersey once. I think you were at that one, right? Weren't you? I don't know. I I don't remember Maybe you weren't. I don't know. I, they did. They did oh, one they did or two one in, like in Jersey, Jersey City. City. Yes. Yeah, I didn't go to that you one. You didn't go to there that one. There was a reason okay. why I wasn't there. Yeah. I don't remember I, why. I went to that one, but it, great stuff. And again, Frank Frere and Rob Bailey both on this this new track that Madison Hatter has out, which you guys have to go watch the video. It's I listened to it on Apple Music. Emily checked, and it is on Spotify too. So let's talk about the other bigger name that's on this track with you, I, I, Tyler. Can you tell us who this is? Tyler Bryant of Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown. He so graciously joined us on this track. I actually reached out to him on social media. I've been a fan of Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown for a while. They're one of my favorite current bands. And I reached out to him on social media. I thought he would be an awesome addition to this song. We had had everything done except for the lead guitar. Um, And I just thought his bluesy, gritty, kind of dirty sounding tone would be an awesome addition to the song. Right. And, and it is. It sounds great. And it mixes so well with Rob's guitar. Yeah, I too. think they yeah. complement each other really well. So, you know, I was hoping for a response. I was I was hoping to get lucky and he would say yes. And I did. Um, and he said yes. And he was so professional, so awesome to work with virtually. Um, he recorded um, on his end and sent it to us and Rob Bailey put it all together. Yeah. Wow. And Rob not only does a great job with the produ- the producing and the guitar playing, but he also, I believe, co-wrote this song with you, right? He did. Yeah. yeah. He wrote uh, all the music and helped with the melody. The majority of the lyrics were on my end and he right. helped me finesse and tweak them and make sure that not a single word was wasted. Right. And, and so there is more music coming up, right? You have some yes. additional tracks, one coming out in May, yep, right? May Who, who's on that one? And can you reveal what the song is? Or of is, course. Okay. So the song is called Treasure and it features Mule Kick. So all the guys um, on Wild and Strange are also on Treasure, except for Tyler. Okay. Um, we had that one right. in the can before, you know, Tyler kind of came in for Wild and Strange. I'm excited about that one. So it's Rob Bailey, Frank Ferrer, 
Brett Bass and Rob Clores, who's also part of Mule Kick. Now, um, he Rob, plays keys. Right. And who else is Rob? He's played with some significant people. Right? He has Rob. played with a ton of awesome people. Um, I think he's probably most known for the Black Crows. Right. Wow. Yeah. But wow. he's played with a lot of He's so talented and wonderful. And again, just a really great person. Um, right I consider him and Carrie friends. I, I think they're great. So I'm excited to release that one. It's a different vibe. Treasure is more of like a, a ballad with teeth. And yeah, I'm proud of that one. I'm awesome. Excited. I cannot wait to hear that. And in the meantime, while we're waiting for that, guys, we all have to go watch and listen to Wild and Strange, the brand new track by Madison Hatter. And the music video, I don't want to spend too much time just talking about the music video, but it looks Awesome. I said that Emily. I mean, wow, the color correction looks great. The 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 colors just pop. But one one scene where the sky is behind you, I was just like, Do you know what's crazy with that sky though? Why? So we shot that in December, that one random weekend in New Jersey where it was super warm. Right. So and we also shot the Nobody's Fault video that same weekend. We were driving from one location for Wild and Strange to the next. And we were driving past this field that was just filled with fog. So we did the one-shot music video for Nobody's Fault, like in between Wild and Strange takes, which was nuts. But we got so lucky with the weather. We had the fog then. And then for the sunset scene, that was actually the sky. Like, it's definitely color enhanced. But... It was one of the most breathtaking sunsets I've ever seen out. in New Jersey. Yeah. We truly yeah. wow. lucked out, yeah. And it's just such a fun video. I love seeing a video where it's just not a bunch of people standing on a soundstage, like lip syncing. You really put some time, some I effort into it. I love getting creative yeah. and playing different characters. I have like a, a whole theater, you know, backstory. Right. And, you know, it's been a couple of years since I released music. So I really put every ounce of my being into the song and then also the music video. Yeah. And I ended up uh, collaborating with Sleepless Pictures who shot the video. They oh, did okay. an awesome job. Ended up collaborating with the editing. Um, I was probably a pain in the butt, but right. I, I had a vision that I just really wanted to capture and tell this story and have fun with it. And I don't know if it's because like I'm a mom now or I've been away for a while and I'm just happy to be quote unquote back for a second, like releasing and writing music again. But I just approached it like not caring as much about like is this the package that people will expect? Like trying to fit in a box. I just, you know, wanted to go wild and be as strange authentically as possible. And that was like kind of being like this insane person (laughs) by the end, just lurking about and shadow boxing in the woods. (laughs) Yeah, there's kind of a a more normal beginning and it then it kind of creeps into more craziness or yeah, it's it, evolved you might even want to say insanity towards the end which is which is fun and 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 real because we're, we all have different parts to our personality and that's kind of what I got out of the video is there's there's a lot there you know 100% uh, yeah. yeah and especially after this year right it's no yeah. wonder that we're all not just like shadow boxing in the woods and like it was sleepless productions nuts. sleepless yeah. productions they're because awesome they, they did a great job i have to look them up on they're online. amazing they're out of west orange oh, they've okay. shot a couple music videos with me do you remember a few years ago emily was in 
one of my music videos. I have that written down here. Yeah, yeah. she was in, and she did such a phenomenal job. She was in It's All Good, and uh, Sleepless Pictures did that video as well. We've done a couple videos for me. So we will link not only the new Madison Hatter song in the show notes, which again is wild and strange. We'll link the music video to that, but we're also going to link the music video where Emily is kind of an extra. Yeah. <laughs> oh the no, she's song? like the star. It's, um, it's, it's all so good. good. It's all good. It's that all one good. was a fun one to From shoot. 2016, too. I believe. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. So let's, we are going to start to wind it down here. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about your background and your upbringing. You mentioned, you know, the stage. So we do want to talk about that, but real quick, where can people get in touch with you online? Um, I am all over social media. So my website is madisonhatter.com and uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook. I'm very active on Instagram and Facebook. Cool. I'm also on Twitter. I had to dust that off a couple days ago because it had been a while since I'd been like actually posting. But everything is really at Madison Hatter or cool. at Madison yeah, Twitter's Hatter Twitter's weird for me. I get so much interaction on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. I, I, I don't, it's, it's weird. I get a few people who are always supportive there, but I don't know what it is to break through on, on Twitter, yeah. but it takes something. I'm not sure for what it me, is. For me, I'm a very visual person. Right. So usually if I'm posting, there's a photo attached. Yeah. And you know, that's why I love Instagram. And then my Instagram is linked to my Facebook and I have a lot of personal friends on Facebook. So I kind of just like go between those two, but I I often forget that I have a Twitter account, but I do have a Twitter account. Okay. And we're going to have all that stuff linked in today's show notes. And we encourage everyone to follow Madison Hatter on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. So let's, before we wrap up here, just talk about your history because Emily's filled me in a little bit on, I guess I would call it your childhood, which is pretty, wow. <laughs> pretty, pretty fascinating because you were on the stage. And when I say the stage, I'm talking a big deal stage yeah. as a young girl, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Your history? Yeah. I feel like I've led several lives at this point. Um, I grew up in New Jersey, in suburban New Jersey, not far from here. I grew up in Livingston and started being a child actor, doing commercials and voiceovers and soaps and all that stuff when I was two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah. I was going in and out of the city almost every day for either commercial like auditions or callbacks, bookings. It was almost an interview with the vampire. I actually came across that script a while ago I got down to the very end um of that and I was significantly younger than Kirsten Dunst who ended up playing that part um there's there were a lot of almosts like that were like on that level like uh Lindsay Lohan went into the parent trap callback right before me really uh yeah lots of and were these auditions in New York yeah they were all in the city yeah I got my SAG card before I turned three, I had to like get it to do the commercial. Um, but then with theater, um, I went to see my first Broadway show when I was six. My mom took me to see Cats and it was just this like amazing experience. There was um, a part where the cats kind of like slink down the aisle from the back of the house to the stage. And one of the cats, I was sitting right on the aisle and one of the cats like stopped and whispered to me. And like six-year-old me like took that as a sign. Like, oh my God, I need to do theater. Um, so I started auditioning for a lot of theater. I did an off-Broadway show. I did Annie Warbucks when I was eight years old. That was at the Variety Arts Theater, which that was like an awesome part of New York at that time. But like, I didn't realize it because I was like eight. That's like the East Village. Um, 
And I understudied all the orphans um, for that. So I was like eight years old going in and out of the city, like memorizing lines. I had a different color highlighter for each track orphan, like memorizing them all kind of like simultaneously. And then I was in Showboat, which was on Broadway. Um, Hal Prince directed that. That was at the Gershwin Theater. That was for almost three years. Yeah. And that's a big deal show, Gershwin Theater. I mean, that's prime time Broadway. Yeah, for sure. That's really, really big deal. It was, oh my gosh, I, I still flash back to different memories from that. It was such an amazing experience. Right. And it almost like took me till I was an adult to realize how much of a big deal that was. Because when I was a kid, you know, it was, I was so grateful for being there and I loved every second of it. You didn't, but I didn't understand what it meant. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just thought it meant that I had to leave school because I was going to public school in New Jersey. Um, I just thought it meant that I had to leave Wednesday afternoons, like a little bit early so that I could be there for the Wednesday matinee. It was eight shows a week. Wow. I was balancing uh, public school at the same time, learning flute and violin for for like band and orchestra at yeah. my school. So I'm like practicing those in and out of like going through the Lincoln Tunnel um, and working with all of these Broadway legends. So you were Broadway doing your practicing in the car while you were driving yes. to perform on Broadway. Correct. And, and doing this is my what, homework. Sixth grade. What did you say? How old is this? I started in fourth grade. Fourth grade. And wow. I was in it for the entire run. I actually never missed a single show. Wow. So eight shows a week for almost three years. Never took a vacation. Never took a sick day. Oh my um, god. <laughs> was burnt out. Burnt out by the time grade, I was fourteen. Yeah. But that's another story for another yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was an amazing experience. I met so many great talented um inspiring people and i'm so appreciative of that i actually um i got to see hal prince again um in i want to say 2016 i came across a letter he had written me right when showboat closed i think he was anticipating you know the come down a little bit a 12 year old who whose whole world was this broadway show and then like there's not really anything there. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the letter and was just so appreciative. And it really put the whole experience in a different light for me because, I mean, he's a legend. I majored in musical theater in college. Wow. Like, I still continued my love for theater. Do you think you'd ever go back to theater? I mean, you're doing rock yeah, and roll and you're I mean, doing it great, but is there any want or or need for you to head back there? And I know you got your hands full too at home. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I now, wish there yeah. were more hours in the day. I love theater and I definitely would love to go back. I think there's a lot of theatricality to my rock music. Absolutely. Um, and the presentation of that. So that's never gone away. Um, if given the opportunity, yeah, I would love to do that. I have a lot of friends who are into theater and active in theater. I love supporting them. And um, whenever I go to see a show, you know, there's always that little twinge of, oh my gosh, like, it's like a loss almost. It's almost like a, a death for me because I was so young and had that experience and then it was you know, gone. Um, so it's emotional for me, but I've worked through that pretty recently and learned to just appreciate, um, watching theater. So, you know, I guess so the for next a while step it was almost be, hard for you to watch. I didn't go oh, wow. to Broadway shows for a very long time for a really long time. Cause it just made me so sad. Right. Um, wow. Facebook's actually been wonderful because I know this seems so random, 
But like so many cast members from then are on Facebook and I found them all. And there's like a little, you know, like private Facebook page. And it's great to reconnect with people who like I was seeing them more than I was seeing my parents um, for those three years. And like the kids who are now adults. Three years at, you know, fourth grade is like an eternity. You know what I mean? Because I I remember, you know, I mean, I think about my kids, like the summer for me flashes by, but a a summer or a a year like Mm -hmm. of COVID that that's one tenth of my youngest son's life. I mean, it's like, it's so, you know, time is definitely perceived differently when you're, when you're younger and what, what a big part of your life and what a life you've had because it's been from that to (laughs) now random. To, uh, playing shows opening for Lita Ford and Tom Kiefer. We didn't even get into all that on both coasts. Uh, just quite, quite a, an accomplishment for you as, as an artist. And let's, let's end there. I mean, let's say the world opens back up. Is there any chance, and I know you have family responsibilities now, but that you could play some shows not only in New York and Los Angeles but maybe in some other cities around around the country. I would love to. I love performing. I'm definitely open to it, but I am also definitely a mom right. first. Yeah. Um so whatever, you know, the balance of that is, it's a space that I'm trying to navigate and I don't know. I mean, I'd love to play shows. Well, I'm definitely open to it. It would just have to be the right situation where I would be able to to balance right. everything. I well, don't know what that looks so. like. We hope so. Definitely. We've seen you play, I think at Dingbats. Um, yes. and I would love to, love to see you play again live. In the meantime, we have great music from you. There's a, a lot of it on Spotify guys. There's the 2012 EP, pretty little fool. There's the 2016, I believe full length, yes. right? Yep. Lose your mind. And you mentioned the, the single, off of that and the music video Emily is in that it would tell me the name of that song again what, it's all good, good. It's she all was good. so good in that <laughs> yeah. video that was and, so much fun and Emily's here she just joined us on the patio Yay! to have a drink Madison Hatter thank you thank you thank you so much That does it for today's episode. Thanks to Alan Tecchio, Frank White, Madison Hatter for joining me, Mark Striegel, on this edition of Talking Metal. Make sure you check us out on YouTube, on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Talking Metal. Tweet people, let them know you heard them on this podcast and follow all their social media. And the more we talk about Talking Metal in public and on social media, the better for me. Join me on Patreon for bonus content. A lot of people think that's the best content I put out, the stuff I put out on Patreon. That's because I'm off the hook. I feel like not a lot of people are listening. So, you know, here, here on Talking Metal, we get anywhere from 1,500 to 3,000 downloads an episode on Patreon. There's only 40 some people there, and only a handful of those people are listening. So I'm just. I'm just loose-lipped on those podcasts. They're a lot of fun. So join me on Patreon for as little as $2 a month. If you do the $5 a month, you do get a Talking Metal t-shirt mailed out to you anywhere in the world. And follow me on the socials. It's always at Talking Metal, Instagram, Twitter, uh, you know, and Facebook. I think it's facebook.com slash mstriegel. I have a website, markstriegel, M-A-R-K-S-T-R-I-G-L dot net. And of course, there's TalkingMetal.com for all your podcasts. We'll talk to you next time, guys. Be safe, get vaccinated, 
and let's hang in the flesh soon. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.